Did you know Bold Commerce has some of the best apps to increase the size of almost all your orders? Maybe you're looking to run store-wide sales with countdown timers. Boom! Bold Discounts will run your scheduled promos with just a few clicks, no coupon codes required. Or maybe you're looking to maximize average order value. You could count on Bold Upsell, Bold Motivator, or Bold Bundles. With Bold Upsell, you can offer product upgrades, cross-sales, or complimentary products as free gifts. With Bold Bundles, you could boost average order value by bundling a few products or an entire collection so that your customers can mix and match items to get a discount. Now, hey, when was the last time you made an online purchase and saw a message like, spend 15 more dollars for free shipping? With Bold Motivator, you could do that same thing and more. Offer free shipping, free product, or even a percentage off the entire order. Pick and choose which apps are best for you, or use them all to boost conversion at an average order value. With free bold apps for 14 days, there's no excuse not to try and boost your sales this year. To get this special offer, go to boldcommerce.com slash Kurt. That's boldcommerce.com slash K-U-R-T. episode of the unofficial Shopify podcast, we are going to hear about a man who sells bears wholesale. Teddy bears, in fact, not actual bears, thankfully. And Mr. Todd Steinberg joins us uh, to discuss their family business, Plush in a Rush, and how they uh, went from regional traveling salesperson venture to a nationwide wholesale e-commerce site. Yeah, we are focusing on wholesale with a uh, what seems to me to be an almost exclusively wholesale business. I'm your host, Kurt Elster. Tech nasty. Todd, Mr. Steinberg, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That's right. Yeah, not many um, wholesalers that I've seen on your program or even in the Shopify world. I know people that do both retail and wholesale, but uh, as far as I know, I'm the only person I've met that just does uh, exclusive wholesale on the Shopify platform. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you... Your impression is exactly right. It's always like we we go direct to consumer first and then oh okay let's let's bolt on a wholesale program for others as uh like this this also also ran this add-on. Um the and often the wholesale programs are spurred by like I got contact, you know, I had this successful business and then I got a few people reached out. Um you know, maybe a big box store if I'm really lucky reached out and said, "Hey, we're interested." In carrying this do you have a wholesale program and then suddenly it's like yeah 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 we totally do <laughs> as you're googling it frantically but all right plush in a rush so i said you sell teddy bears do, that's is, right did i get that right yeah teddy bears and other stuffed animals not just teddy bears but 80 percent of what we do is teddy bears and the rest is high school mascots yeah custom printed t-shirts bandanas ribbons that kind of thing to take your plush toys to the next level and how long have you been doing this so I've been in the business since 2003, and then my uncle and dad did were uh, doing it since like the early 90s. So they really were they they would go door to door with like a ba- a sack full of stuffed animals. Yeah, the way it worked is this: is um, they would you know we in, we're in Texas, and Texas has tons and tons of small towns, and so the idea is you drive into a town, maybe it has population 10,000, and um, you have you're armed with what's called a coach's directory. And the coach's directory has um, how many high schools are in town and the population of the town, but most importantly, the mascot of that high school. 
And so there is like this, um, uh, there's a trifecta involved where it's like, okay, I want to find the florist in town and walk in with their high school mascot that I already know in advance. And then sure enough, the, 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 the gift shop owner is like, yeah, we're selling bulldogs. Um, because as you may know, like Texas, the, it's basically, what is it? God country and football. And really football is more unifying than God because in a small town of a thousand, there might be 20 churches, but there's only one football stadium. So everyone is all about the uh, football team and everybody wants to get the high school mascot, especially around homecoming. And if you Google uh, homecoming mums, M-U-M-S, you'll just see this, basically this gaudy thing that Texan girls wear around homecoming season. And it's the school colors, the flowers, the streamers, etc. And then usually in the middle is like some stuffed animal or some symbol. And if your high school is the Panthers or the Lions, then they'll plop on a lion or a tiger or something like that. And what my dad and uncle figured out real soon was that people were buying, say, a stuffed tiger and not using the whole tiger. They would cut the head off the tiger and glue the tiger head onto the mom. Oh, no, the poor tiger. Yeah. And so my dad and uncle were like, hey, we can just get the tiger heads done overseas. And it became this big thing because you were able to sell it for next to nothing. And the florists and the gift shop guys appreciated that. So that was sort of their big entree was high school mascots. And then from there, they were able to sell teddy bears and uh, Valentine's, that kind of thing. So this was in the 90s. This is where the the internet is kicking off. Uh, right. But Amazon only sold books and CDs. And it was weird. You're like, the first time I remember the first time we ordered, I was probably like 13. Like, are we even going to get this stuff? Is this legal? What is happening here? And so they had this this business um, pre-internet. You brought, it sounds like you took it online in 2003. That's right. Yeah, and that was at a time when it was just now coming upon the world that you can buy stuff on the internet more than just books. And I came on, I was like, yeah, let's build a website. There was a website for Plush and a Rush, but it was just a one-page thing. And I didn't know anything about it, and I learned that there was a platform called Monster Commerce, which is not unlike Shopify or anything else, where you upload your photos, upload the info, and it displays it in a way that's easy to buy. And right around that time, as I was finishing up the website, took all the pictures, we went out to Vegas for a a buyer show. And one of the booths was a a booth called Wholesale 411. And it was basically bringing retailers and wholesalers together. It was a search engine for uh, retailers. And so back then you could buy a top listing for for four pennies, right? Four cents, three cents. And they also sent out newsletters. And so right as the website was launching, we got on this thing. So I didn't have to worry about marketing too much because Wholesale 411 brought in enough traffic to make it worthwhile for the time being. And then I learned about uh, Google ads and then a company back in the day called Overture. And back then you could buy keywords for you know pennies, right? And um, it was a really great way to start getting those first few orders off the web. Oh, and it was so much easier too, because there was like, you'd put in the keyword and that was about it. Like either there were operators, like negative keywords, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, broad search, narrow search. Yeah, much but simpler. You just put it in and there were so many fewer people advertising. It was very different. Yeah, much simpler. And then the good thing about us, you know, like I've listened to your show and the people who 
sort of made it big in their niche or their genre was because they were the first at something. Either they were the first selling something or they were the first dude on Instagram who was doing this or what have you. And so for us, it was organic search where I tweaked the headers and the meta, uh, meta keywords and this, that, and the other. And since like 2004, all of our main keywords has been number one or in the top of the fold. And that's just been a real boon. We haven't really had to worry about paying for traffic, whether it be social media or Google AdWords or the like. We've tried it all, and we just bend our pickaxe on it. It's We just rely on word of mouth and uh, organic search. You put in wholesale teddy bears, wholesale plush toys, wholesale stuffed animals, bulk toys, you name it. Um, we come up in the top of the results, and uh, we just have our lead generator and everything else. It's almost like we have it on autopilot now. Interesting. I mean, that's kind of the dream, as you say, it's kind of on autopilot. That's what you want is where you have built uh, a marketing flywheel that just keeps leads coming in and you're not having to worry about return on ad spend. I suppose that's a, do you think that's an, an advantage to a, a wholesale, a primarily wholesale business is that you, you it's a different, smaller pool of competition? Yeah, for sure. So there's not many people who are doing what we do. Um, there's a plenty of big importers that uh, aren't really interested in the customers that we service. So it's pretty easy to, there's not a lot of competition and we kill them. We kill the competition on customer service and having a website that functions well. And that if you buy something, it'll come in a few days. And we address that in our, uh, you know, on the we have all the objection busters. One of them is like, hey, we know the frustration of trying to find a wholesale plush toy so source on the web. Well, you know, fear not, you know, and all that. And we show you, hey, this is what you do. And you can get $25 off your order today if you buy, you know, today. And then we have all the, the um, uh, what is it, the testimonials and whatnot. And I knew we hit it, you know, taking what I've learned here and Clavio conferences and just customer service in general, I knew we made it. When a customer wrote saying, you guys are the greatest company I've ever worked with. Uh, and I mean that not just plush toys, but anyone. So I, I put their email to see how many orders they bought from us. And she hadn't even gotten her order yet. It was just the first order that she placed just based on our, our flow, you know, our welcome flow and our new customer flow. She was so excited to get our product. And I was like, okay, I've, we've kind of nailed it. Let's, let's not screw this thing up. Yeah, uh, yeah. On your site, you've got there's a lot of good copy, and on here, this is my favorite section. It's called "Here's How It Works," in which you just straight up explain to people how an online transaction works. But with you know, since it's wholesale direct, there are questions like what's minimum order quantity, what are, you know, what are the requirements, and on here you say, "Hey, here's how it works: place an order of at least $150 online or over the phone. It will be confirmed. You can track it once it ships. Simply fluff it, and you're ready to go. And uh, if if it doesn't meet your expectations, seven-day return policy will refund 100% of your order, even if we have to pay to ship them back. So you really spell out for them, even if it seems obvious to you, because you're working in e-commerce since 2003. It is not necessarily obvious to your customers. So I love that you really um, very plainly spell out this is the process and even have the inject, uh, objection buster in there. What happens when this goes wrong? Well, you, there is no risk to the customer is what you have you have told us here. Excuse me, do you know where 4th Street is? Yeah, up here, make right. Or, uh, no, make left. No, no, make right. Man, this person doesn't know what she's talking about. 
But you know who does know what they're talking about? Zipify Pages, the most powerful landing page and sales funnel builder on Shopify. All their templates are tested and proven by a $100 million e-commerce brand. So you know their stuff actually works. Finally, someone who knows what they're talking about. You can copy entire templates like opt-in pages, product pages, or holiday promos. Or use the drag and drop builder to create your own custom layouts. Then publish your pages directly onto your Shopify store. That means no plugins and no subdomains. So setup is easy and tracking is even easier. And you don't need a designer or developer. Plus all pages are optimized for mobile and built-in split testing helps you maximize your results. It's no wonder Zipify Pages is used by over 5,700 Shopify merchants. To start your 14-day free trial, go to zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. All right, so you started in 2003. Shopify isn't founded until 2006. And I see you are on Shopify now. When and how did that happen? Gosh, you know, it, it, it's funny. Like, uh, we were on Monster Commerce from 2003. And then I think around 2006, Monster Commerce said, hey, guys, we're, um, we're, going, we're being sold or, we're, or Network Solutions is buying us. But don't worry, nothing will change. Not even the name. And it's true. Nothing changed. And at first, we were like, cool, nothing's changing. But then you're like, hey, nothing's changing, right? And that can be an impediment as the years go on. But you just kind of get comfortable and you think, well, you know, I guess this is as good as it's going to get. Uh, we'll just continue doing what we do, have our webpage, send out our mailers, send out our, you know, uh, postcards and whatnot. Um, but then it was just like, yeah, you kept on hearing about Shopify and email. And we tried to do retail. We did, uh, we, we had a website called Just Big Bears and I tried it on Shopify. And we did get plenty of orders, but it cost a lot to get that order because we were brand new. We were spending it all on AdWords and social media. It just didn't pay for itself. But then I got a taste for Shopify and how it all integrates with different apps. And I was like, we got to do that for uh, Plush in a Rush. And so spent about six months getting it over to Shopify and all the automations, you know, with the different integrations, it just, it was night and day. And looking back now, saying, oh my gosh, if we had to do all that stuff by hand, because you were doing lots of stuff by hand, you had to basically, you took the order, put it into QuickBooks, print it out in QuickBooks, handed it to the warehouse. Then they filled it out. Then you took that same order, typed it all into UPS WorldShip. So you were doing data entry twice. Now we do data entry zero times, unless it's over the phone. But even then it's all automated. And I was like, telling our uh, office manager, man, if we had to do everything that we do now with the volume we have, we would need like a whole host of data entry folks. So just the automation alone was great and the seamlessness. And, you know, we talk about autopilot. That's a blessing and a curse. You do want things to automate, but it's almost like what they tell you in driver's ed. Green doesn't mean go. Green means proceed with caution. So autopilot is like autopilot, but check it out. Because someone just yesterday one of my flows mentioned it was a uh, answer this two question poll and we will donate a bear of your choice to charity. And the headline was let's donate 2020 bears during 2020. And the guy was like, Hey man, it's 2022. You may want to update your, uh, your email. And I was like, Oh, you're right. 
So <laughs> I think the them. worst is when no one tells you. Like <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had automated emails with typos that have landed in hundreds of inboxes before anyone mentioned it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, and even like you, know, you triple check everything and you try and stay on top of it and stuff always slips through the cracks. Um, but at the same time, like the automation, yeah, I'd rather be top of mind. I'd rather be in there. I'd, and you've got that experience where the guy goes, Hey, you may want to update this. And then he could see you're a real person when you reply right away. Go, Oh, thanks for pointing it out. I'll fix it right now. Oh yeah, that's right. He even wrote in there. I doubt anyone's actually reading this. Yeah. So they I, always say that. That's yeah. why no one bothers to mention it is they assume no one reads it. And so when someone replies, um, to an email, I always try to reply, especially if it's yep. like, Oh no, no one reads this. And then they're shocked. Oh my gosh, I have actually read this. Yeah. We actually, on the bottom, you know, something we try to do is have that folksy. We did actually, uh, we inter- we hired a marketing uh, guru slash basically a part-time marketing CMO. And he he will periodically um, poll our customers, like in a real poll with like many questions and all that. And one of the things we discovered was that people didn't know if we were a mom and pop operation or a cor- like a, a nationwide company. So we kind of use that to our advantage where they don't know how big we are. Which is the right answer. I always think this is an interesting thing because there's, Mm -hmm. I think there's advantages to both. Yeah. So we try to make it, you know, Hey, I'm the owner. I, uh, even though I I may, I may not write every single uh, email. um, I wrote all the flows, but I sign off with the email and I say, Hey, anytime you want to talk to me, reply back and a real person will answer. Right. I'm all constantly reminding folks that if you call up our 800 number, a real person will pick up. And so people like that human connection nowadays, rather than being told that your phone call may be monitored for training purposes, please stand by. And then the music plays and then someone picks up uh, a real person will pick it up uh, every single time. So and what, we, um, what what what's the tech stack for that phone number look like? Like you have an 800 number. How's it work? Where does it go? What's it do? It just rings. You know, we have uh, four phones here. And we have an office manager who picks up and we have uh, someone else in here too who works uh, part-time right now. She's in here full-time. But we try to over attrition. So most people are getting, like we actually uh, gauge how many people call in their order versus how many people use the web. And over time, more and more people are just using the web, right? So, but it's good to have- Is this specific to wholesale where they feel more comfortable calling in? Maybe so. But I think a lot of it has to do with the owners of the flower shops and gift shops. They've been doing it for a long time. They just like to call up, maybe see if it's a legitimate company. I'm not sure exactly why they call up. But, um, you know, it's just something that we do and will continue to do. I think it's Zappos who kind of made it a thing where uh, back before they were sold to Amazon, they made phone support a point of marketing where if you call it phone support, um, it accounts for very few of our sales but a lot of our goodwill. So we kind of look at that as a way to remind the customers that these that the people work here are real. And uh, we like working with you, the owner. I think that's kind of our shtick too, is that we tr- we're, work- we're owners working with other owners. We're not working with like a mid-level buyer or something like that. Usually the person buying it is also the one putting it in their displays and that kind of thing. So, so there's, we, there's yeah. an advantage to... Really, you are looking to facilitate these personal relationships, and in part because you know it works, but also because you know that is the nature of your customer. Like with these these smaller flower shops, makes it easier to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so sometimes, like uh, we'll get um, what is it, the name of the chain? Uh, um, the name of the, it's called uh, 
uh, edible arrangements, right? Right. And they're franchises, and they have someone they, they buy from headquarters. But if headquarters runs out, they'll buy from us, or they'll buy secondary stuff from us, and we'll get requests. Oh, please be the supplier for edible arrangements, and we're just like, yeah, nah. You know, I don't want to deal with it. Having to call some corporation, having contracts. You know, I just don't. I'd rather just have tons and tons of smaller. Uh, customers rather than a few big ones and everybody else is sort of small potatoes. So that's the way we kind of run it. That will sound, to someone who has not been through it, those those relationships with like what enterprise, working with an enterprise customer, how that is different than working with a a small business. Um, I think for someone who's not had that experience, they may go, well, this guy's nuts. You know, Mm -hmm. take the money, go with the, the bigger fish. But sometimes it isn't necessarily worth it, especially when you have something that works and is not optimized for that. Like there's a, there may be a lot of processes and things that have to change to accommodate, you know, adding one enterprise customer um, that wants, you know, like net 180, 180 day terms yep. and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's funny that one net 180, they'll also say in the contract that if we pay you within 60, we get 5% off or something like that. And you just kind of miss it. Yeah, they, and- they don't miss a trick. Yeah, and it's like we actually there's a chain called Michaels. I don't know if you have them up there, but it's a yeah. hobby chain, and we actually sell to another company who then sells it to Michaels, just so we don't have to deal with Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> and that's funny. Yeah, and like Michaels contacted us, and they're like, "Hey, we can go directly with you." And you, I'm like, "Yeah, no, just keep going through that company because they literally have to like do things in triplicate and." translate stuff into French. It's just ridiculous what and they Michael's require. And Michael's tried to do an end run on them, on the supplier, get a lower yeah. cost. It's just like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm good. That's yeah. great. Yeah, because that's what I love. And I think that's something that I admire about the group here is that they all want to make something, make a living from making something or doing something. And nobody wants to work 80, 90 hours a week continually forevermore. And you just want to like, you know, it seems like most of the folks here are like, they're family men, family women. They have a life outside of work. And they just want to have a comfortable living where um, they get to do the thing they love to do and, you know, keep at it and just be happy with it. So I'm, I very love what I do. And, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that we we help, you know, the way I, I, I put it is that with a teddy bear, it's like, what is the point of a teddy bear? And if you look at kids, you know, if you have kids, uh, a stuffed animal is often their first friend. And they role play with it. They learn from it. It's like, and you know, a lot of police officers and fire departments buy from us and a kid may have lost everything or the kid has to be taken away from the home because of what the parents have done and giving them a teddy bear instantly calms them down. And I think we forget that we're all fully grown. We forget the magic of a teddy bear. And I actually have my very first love, which is a, 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 an animal from uh, Gund. It's basically a gnome. It's a little gnome that's been loved to death called Gump. I still have him on my wall as a reminder of what it was like to be a kid and having a stuffed animal you love. Well, I think there's a reason why that that old story, the Velveteen Rabbit, has mm-hmm. become timeless, and it, it's because of uh, we all have this this universal experience. Um, teddy bears and, and plush toys, in many ways, are a, a cultural touchstone in that way. Yeah, so, you, know, you know, you've made it when you have when you're the thing you sell is an emoji. And I think there's like two or three teddy bear emojis, so uh, it's it's pretty easy. I never to sell thought something. of it that way. Yeah, and that's like the that just became the the episode excerpt summary. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's it's a classic thing. It's never going to go out of style, and 
you know, um, it's not as sexy as selling the next best thing or the cool, you know, weighted blankets or whatever. Um, you're quote unquote, just selling teddy bears. Uh, so you just have to make it exciting. You can get bored just like anything else. So you have to find ways to make it exciting again. Uh, and so we've spent 20 minutes extolling the virtues of wholesale. Certainly it's not all roses. What are, are some of the unique challenges that you face as a wholesaler, as opposed to being you know, direct to consumer retail? Well, I guess uh, the main thing would be sourcing. And fortunately, we've had some really great sources over the years. And we built up a reputation to where people will want to come. Hey, we want to produce your stuff. And we have a really good source overseas. He's basically a, an agent uh, for an, a conglomerate. And I met him once. We went out to China about eight years ago. I've only been to China once. So you don't have to necessarily go to China, watch your stuff being done. You just have to find someone who understands that you are a legitimate wholesaler, distributor, and that this isn't going to be the only time you're going to buy from them. Because what will end up happening is if someone overseas senses that you are just a one-off, they're going to lowball you and think that, you know, do your product during a lull during their busy season. And um, they're going to send it to you. And if you actually go to reorder, the prices are going to be higher because it's now their busy season. Or they've already, you know, they weren't expecting you to come back. Um, so they may actually give you something that looks less stellar than the sample you ordered. Um, but fortunately, we've we've taken our licks, and now we know exactly how to approach people. And the website sort of speaks for itself. You go on there, and you're like, okay, th this is a legitimate company. I need to get my A game on if I want to produce bears from these people. And, and mm -hmm. I think you said yeah, our website speaks for itself, and we better bring our A game. So they have to impress you. And one of the ways you've done that is with a little bit of uh, – so with a, a brag bar at the bottom of the page that says CR plush on TV and in the news. And you've got mm -hmm. NBC news today's show and marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That's today. right. Oh, I like that show. My wife raves about it. Loves it on Amazon prime. How did you, how did you achieve that? Yeah, I, I wish I could say that I have all these uh, connections with Hollywood, but <laughs> you just, you have it on your website and for the today show and the other one, it, it was a couple of nonprofits that, that got on there and they let us know. And uh, that was great. And then we do get calls from prop departments quite often, but it's usually to, you know, decorate a kid's room or a carnival. And we're always like, what show is this for? And then we, it's like, oh, the young Sheldon, uh, what, you know, what season, what episode is like, I'm just the prop guy. It's episode number four, eight, five, six, four, two. I'm like, yeah, that's not very helpful. But when the Mrs. Maisel folks called and it was like the VP needed to sign off on it, it was just the yellow bear. We're like, okay, this is going to be something. And they had a, it was a big deal because it was going to be a major plot point and all that. And so we were like excited about it, forgot about it. But one of our customers uh, DM'd us saying, Hey, you're, we saw your bears. We saw the yellow Colorama bears on, on, online uh, on the Mrs. Maisel and turned it on. It was on three or four episodes and we were just pleased as punch uh, because of that. Do you get, uh, do they put it in the credits? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know if they need to do that, but it's funny. I was like, it was a little too, little, too little too late i saw that the show that those episodes were filmed at a at a hotel somewhere a classic hotel and i called up the hotel to see if they wanted to buy uh the yellow bears in their gift shop oh, and whatnot and they're like yeah that that ship has sailed we kind of did the whole <laughs> thing uh they're gone now they didn't bother to take their decorations down and we had to do it you know that kind of Ooh. thing uh but um uh they 
right around Valentine's Day, we did have two customers. They weren't wholesale. They were just retailers who wanted to just throw in, you know, buy hundreds of yellow bears for their wife to put in their room to like mimic the show. So that was kind of cool. That's fun. Yeah. The, uh, let's see. But the other, the other challenge, you know, with, you know, going back to China is, well, right now, as I don't have to tell anyone, there's supply chain issues. You don't say. Yeah. And so, what like we are we just got a container in uh, the day before yesterday end of beginning of january that we ordered like in april right and we're expecting another container to come in that we also order in april sometime in january if we're lucky and uh that's been a problem a lot of our best sellers are uh just been out been out for months and it's basically like going to disney world and it's like well where's mickey like Mickey's not here. Well, where's Goofy? Goofy's not here. Where's any? Do you have Cinderella? Nope. And it's kind of like that. So it's like, well, who do you have? Well, we have, you know, that we have Peter Pan's sister. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like or whatever. You know, we you have get Wendy. the supporting characters. Yeah, that's pretty much us. Now it's enough. Like everyone understands, and there's substitutes and all that. It's all good. But one of the things we did about six months ago was like, how about how about Mexico? Like I was seeing ads on Facebook. Have your stuff be produced by our amigos. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, Amigos. I get it. And so we're expecting a test run of about 5,000 bears made in Mexico. And if that goes well, we can order more from them. And instead of it being on a ship, it just gets hitched to a trailer in Mexico City, and it just goes right up 35 and arrives in Dallas within a couple of weeks rather than uh, three months. And is it a, I would suspect, is it a simpler customs process to go since you're all within North America and we're driving it as opposed to sending it on a plane or ship. You, you would think, let's hope for the best. I mean, you know, not only is there a shortage of containers, but also truck drivers. So until yep. like uh, Tesla comes up with their automated um, trucks, we're still at the mercy. Now, what I heard is I had a friend who said, you know, you can just go into Mexico and literally drive up the truck yourself. I did. He's like, I did that with coffee beans once and it just required a little paperwork, but I did it. And so the, just show up with a U-Haul? Pretty much. I think the idea is that uh, transportation within Mexico is really cheap, and they bring it to the border town. And then from there, it's just a matter of getting the truck and, and, and taking it up yourself. But it can be done. I, I'm not prepared to do that at the moment. I'm just going to rely on a shipper. But it's So in potentially, the- you go and you may buy a large quantity of teddy bears in Tijuana, is what I'm hearing. Pretty much. Yeah, I think it's close to uh, Mexico City. But... Um, you know, they can do it. It, it sounded like that it was more of a regional player. They weren't really uh, up and up on all of, of the uh, consumer protection type stuff. There was a little bit of a learning curve for them, but they seem to be doing it. Uh, we got actual production pieces, and I'm like pretty excited that it can be done. Uh, you do have to get a lot more than you normally would from China to, in order to get the same price point, and you get less variety. So like, Normally, if you get 5,000 of an item, you can get in three different colors. Whereas here, it's like, no, you can just get it in one color, 5,000. So you have to sort of take that into so consideration. So higher minimum order quantities. It seems yeah, like. in order to get the price to where you can sell it more or less for what you were selling it previously. This episode was brought to you by the team at Rewind, a trusted Shopify app since 2015. If you're a Shopify partner, join leading agencies like The Taproom, Milk Bottle Labs, BVA, and more in the Rewind Agency Partner Program. You can earn up to $1,000 for recommending Rewind to your clients. 
And you could rest easy knowing that the hard work you've done for your clients is protected. If you're a merchant, feel confident and enjoy peace of mind that your store is always safe with automated backups. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Learn more by looking up Rewind in the Shopify App Store or visit Rewind.com. Mention the unofficial Shopify podcast and you'll get your first month free. That's Rewind.com. Any other unique challenges? I mean, certainly the supply chain thing is not unique to mm-hmm. wholesalers. Um, I, I guess it would be finding, like, we have our organic search, but trying to find, like, an audience on Facebook or social media is impossible. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, that B2B on social media, like, it's just, it's not really built for it. It's a lot tougher. Yeah, and the other thing would be a lot of the cool apps, like, there's so many upsells and cross-sells. The thing about teddy bears and stuffed animals is that you're usually buying it for a purpose. You're not going to be like upsold on, oh, a shiny, this is a, add a shiny gold bear for only $10 more or whatever. Um, so that wasn't uh, a thing for us, the upselling. We've, we've tried to branch out into different products. Like I wrote um, a bunch of children's books called Stubs and Stilts. And then I had stuffed animals to go with them. They were a couple of rescue dogs. And so I was trying to sell the books at cost so that they would buy the stuffed animals essentially. And people bought it, but it wasn't enough to where, oh, it became a thing. It was fun to get the books out there to write them and all that, but it wasn't the thing that I thought it would be because stuffed animal people aren't necessarily looking for books, but you know, enough tried out. It was interesting and everyone who got them really liked them, but in order to become a children's book author, you really have to make that a full-time thing. It can't just be done on the side. Yeah. You'd have to be focusing on that. (laughs) I guess you can't casually become a, a successful author, can you? I'm sure it happens to somebody. You know, the the author of The Martian, the one that became a Matt Damon movie, he was Andy literally, Weir? yeah, he, um, his claim to fame, he was, he tried to get his book published through a normal uh, source. He's like, well, I'll just publish it chapter by chapter on a blog. And then mm. his, his nerd friends pointed out some scientific uh, uh, problems. And so he corrected them. And then his, they're like, hey, can you, um, can you put that into uh, onto uh, a PDF for us so we can read it offline? So he did that. Then like, hey, why don't you sell it on Kindle? Because that way we can read it on our e-reader. And so at the time, selling your books for a buck was like the lowest it could go. I have no idea what it is now. But he put it on there and it became a bestseller. And then the book publishers and the, the, the screenwriter people came to him. But it was only after he built this audience on his blog and iterating with his nerd friends and finally deciding, okay, fine, I'll put it on Amazon for you. Just leave me alone. And then it blew up. So whether it's a, an international bestseller or teddy bears, you know, the trick really is you, you're on your own to find your audience. Yeah, it really is. That's the hard. Whatever you're doing, if you're starting off, expect a two to three year grind at the very least. It's like I know people that have gone to Hollywood and they're like, I'm just going to go for two or three years, see what happens. And that's just not long enough. You really have to be there for like a good 10 years uh, to even figure out if this is the thing for you. So that's a, that's good advice for people who are early in their, their entrepreneurial journey or, or starting out or thinking about it. Do you have other advice for folks starting their, their e-commerce venture wholesale or not? Yeah, I would say uh, the, the main thing is you, you, you start off, um, you, you put something up there that you think might work, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. You're going to iterate. You're going to get better over time, and then what I the thing that I've learned what I've learned the one commonality like uh, when I went back to my alma alma mater for the uh, keynote speak speech speech where we were, they were we were trying to pair up with uh, 
students. We were going to be their mentors. And the woman speaking said that uh, she got her start by, she was working for a magazine company and she um, was told, you know, this was back when Facebook was allowing pages to be done. And she told her boss, Hey, can I make a Facebook page for our, um, for our magazine? And they're like, sure, you can have whatever, do whatever you want. And it was, she was one of the first people to do a Facebook page for a magazine. She got really good at it. And then she finally quit and she started a company making, uh, helping online uh, media companies monetize their, their uh, stuff, monetize their assets. And it was because she was there at the beginning of something. And, you know, like, I think it was pop off leather. You asked them once, uh, how did you get your start? And he's like, well, we were on Instagram at the beginning. And that was I, a lot, a lot of the interviews I do is like, oh, we were on Instagram in 2015, yeah, you know, 2014. And like, when you have that, you know, unintentionally, uh, you're in the right place at the right time. But at the moment, you may not realize it. Exactly. And so the, the advice I would give is that you may not be the first at TikTok or whatever, but you might like, look at unboxing videos. Someone a long time ago was like, hey, what if I just open up packages on um, YouTube? And that person, you know, is like that became a thing. So it may, you may not be the first on a particular medium, but you might be the first to do a particular something on that medium. So I think if you're at it long enough, you will be, you know, it's like they say, the harder you work, the luckier you get. If you keep at it for a while, eventually you will find your 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 sixth sense will kick in, your spider sense will tingle, and you'll know when it's time to double down on something. I yeah. always think about it as you you'll see results where you spend resources, whether that's you know, time, money, that it's true of anything. Like if you think about like going to the gym or going to school or going to whatever it is where you're spending your time, money, and focus is to where you're going to see results and gain skills and experience. And I, I think you're right. I, I don't think, um, Sure, there's people who have overnight success and like these viral successes with uh, businesses in general, not just online businesses, but they're very rare. It's like lightning in a bottle. And mm -hmm. it's very, it's even, if you even happen to do it, it's hard to reproduce that success. And so I think in most cases, it really is like, all right, you're going to set this as your goal and then you're going to grind it out and make mistakes and figure it out along the way. Yeah, it's like even I knew the lead singer of a band called Lake Street uh, Drive, Drive and um, they did a, a show on Stephen Colbert and they blew up and everyone was like, Oh, an overnight success. I'm like, they were far from overnight. They were grinding it out at clubs for like the better part of 10 years. And then they got the gig on Stephen Colbert. You got the so, Colbert bump. Yeah. So I think people don't see, you know, how much time it takes. Like if you watch your favorite sitcom, think about all the rehearsal that went into it, all the rewrites, all the uh, uh, time that all the actors had to go to school. There's, you know, thousands upon thousands of hours that go into uh, behind the scenes to producing your favorite content. So the same is going to be for your e-commerce company is that, you know, like you'll even see the advice on, you know, uh, your Facebook page where I've been trying this, it wasn't working and people will try to give advice and you just hope that they'll keep on keeping on. And then as they gain experience, they'll sort of have, uh, ah, now nah, that won't work. This might work kind of thing. You know, it's like you had someone on who was selling weighted blankets and now if you try to sell a weighted blanket, you're gonna, your competition is fierce. But at the time, it was like weighted blankets was kind of new. And they found... He explained it to people. Yeah, he had explained it to people. And then you got, uh, what was it, influencers who were able to influence women rather than men, the right influencer to the, at the right time. And, you know, it, 
but that only came because that person who was doing it had a sense, had been doing it for a while and kind of had an idea, okay, this is where we hit. This is how we do it. And if you kind of wait, like I know someone who spent a lot of money uh, producing a video for a, uh, a Kickstarter for a pillow. And I was like, yeah, it was just so late. You know, you saw the video and you're like, it seems interesting, but there are so many pillow companies now. So um, that would be the other thing is like trying to chase the next best thing may not be the best course of action if you're just starting off and you may have to pick something else. And I don't know what that something else is, but, um, you know, I got lucky because it was my dad and uncle's business and I tried a couple of jobs after college and, you know, it was all right. And then uh, saw an opportunity to come on board. So it worked out for me. Um, but for everyone else, I can't exactly sell, tell you what you should be selling or what you shouldn't be selling. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it's good good advice from someone who has, has been there and has the experience. Uh, going into 2022, what challenges do you forecast? Certainly, we're still dealing with COVID. I can't believe it. Yep. And uh, our supply chain issues are easing but persistent. Yeah, so the challenge for me personally is just to keep on um, finding ways to refresh your spirit, I guess you could say, and just so you're still excited about it. Because I think like you don't want to get bored with your thing. Because when you get bored, you start trying new things, you spend resources on that, and then you're like, oh, that new thing didn't pan out, so let me go back to that old thing. But you let that old thing languish. So the idea is to find a way to keep on making it fresh and new, freshen up the copy on your flows, find a new product you can get behind, like do something new, uh, you know, this year. So I think this year for me, you wanna, it, mm -hmm. the goal is to avoid burnout, but without, without fiddling, like you don't want to do things just for the sake of like, well, this is different and feels interesting. Yeah, for sure. So I think like this year it might be to automate the warehouse. Um, like for us, um, we, okay, so every Valentine's, basically January's our busiest month, and pretty much you can count on it from January 1st through the first week of February, we always had 30 to 40 pending orders that we were going to complete the next day. So it was always like a day or two lag. But last year after COVID, COVID we blew up because people were ordering more. It, it, you know, our business increased by like 50% for the past two years in a row now. And without having to increase really the amount of staff we have. So we've all been working pretty hard to keep up. Um, but um, so we went from 30 to 40 pending orders to like 200 pending orders. And I was like, okay, you know, let's just stick through this. It's an anomaly. We'll just stick and move. But it's happening again. And it may not stop. And it's just very stressful to have hundreds of orders pending when we're called plush in a rush. Our whole marketing thing is built around one to two day turnaround time. And now we're telling people a week to 10 days. So we're going to find a way to automate the warehouse more to where we can get more orders out faster and more accurately. And so that'll be a fun project that's not fiddling, but we're not reinventing the wheel either. And the, the benefit will be that our back of the house won't be as stressed trying to fulfill these orders working late, you know, an hour late working on Saturdays uh, for a good part of, the, part of the beginning of the year. Uh, and finally, where can people go to learn more about you? Yeah. So, uh, plush and is our website. You can, if you want to learn about flows and all that, you can go there and subscribe. Uh, obviously you don't have to buy anything, but it's something, 
you know, we do customize uh, our teddy bears with t-shirts and whatnot. So if you, you know, send me an email and you, you, I do actually respond to all the emails and say, I heard uh, about you on the show. Can you, what do you suggest I, I can do? I, I'll probably work with you. I have a lot of leeway when it comes to the custom t-shirts and stuff. If you wanted to promote your brand, you know, a free teddy bear with purchase, be happy to work with and any of the, of our, my, our peers on the show here. Oh, very kind of you. Yeah. And I will include uh, plushinarush.com in the show notes. Todd Steinberg, Plush in a Rush, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Talk to you guys later. Privy is the fastest way to grow sales with email and SMS. You can build your list, save abandoned carts, send money making emails and texts, and more, all in one place. Plus, you'll get coaching and support from e-commerce experts no matter where you start. Privy is the number one rated sales app on Shopify and has helped merchants deliver over 7 billion in online sales. Join the thousands of merchants growing with Privy by signing up for a free 15-day trial today. Just head over to privy.com slash unofficial Shopify to get started. That's P-R-I-V-Y dot com slash unofficial Shopify. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening.